All right, all right, everyone, take your seats, please. This time we're talking about the law of subtraction. So take your seats, please. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Change Academy podcast. I'm Monica Reinagle. And I'm Brock Armstrong. And our goal on this podcast is to help you get the results that you want without overloading and overcomplicating your life with unproductive effort. Oh, man, you are speaking my language. (laughs) You know, when we become aware of a gap between our present reality and our desired reality, our inclination is to add something, a new practice, a new program, a new effort. (laughs) And when that doesn't work, we go back to the drawing board and add yet another thing. But... What if the answer were not to add something, but to subtract something that's not quite playing out the way that we hoped it would? So true. I think of this as the law of subtraction. Mm. And we see this so often, don't we, in the people that we work with in the Way Less program, especially at the beginning of their time with us. You know, they come in loaded for bear and then they're looking to add more. What new relaxation practice can they add on to help them reduce the stress in their lives? Mm-hmm. Or often, you know, people struggle with sleep quality. And so they're looking around, what should they add to their nighttime routine in order to sleep better? Right. And as you said, what if the answer is not to add, but to subtract? What if the stress in our lives is in part a factor of all the things that we've added in attempt to reduce our stress. You know, right off the bat, this totally reminds me of a fitness client that I'm pretty sure I've actually talked about in a in a past episode. I'm sorry that I'm picking on this same fellow. Hopefully he doesn't recognize himself here. But a few years ago, I had a, a fellow as a client who wasn't happy with the gains that he was making in his fitness. And then after reviewing all of his workouts, I actually determined that the workouts were absolutely fine, but his recovery time was the issue. So basically what we needed to do was remove some of the workouts, not to pile on more, which is what he was asking me to do. Exactly. That's a brilliant illustration of this phenomenon. And just sort of as a side note, when I suggested as part of that recovery time that he do some yoga or some meditation or something a couple of times a week, he replied, uh, I meditate all the time and I meditate so hard and it's not helping. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Sorry to pick on that fellow. But, you know, in my personal life, I've noticed that the most helpful changes I've made for my recovery and my sleep is uh, to actually turn off my devices earlier. So removing those and also removing the clock from our bedroom. That's right. Another good illustration of removing a couple of things actually helped. Yeah, I think this is a fairly universal phenomenon, and yeah. and I bet people will recognize that this is something that they often do without realizing it. And so, of course, the first step always just to shine that light of awareness. Mm-hmm. And I've also noticed, especially in the area that we work with people most on, which is healthy eating habits, movement routines, weight management, that when people are looking for solutions to those particular problems they're so often drawn to complexity. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is because these are often problems that they've struggled with for a while. And when you've tried a lot of things and they haven't worked for you, maybe you conclude that just you need a more elaborate approach. However, I have found it's almost always, as in the case you just illustrated, it's almost always the opposite Yeah, complexity or extreme solutions, they always seem to be the ones that people go for. And, you know, this actually has a clever name. It's called complexity bias. Yeah. And it's pretty straightforward once you know how to look for it. So, 
Well, here's an example. I, I love giving examples. So does this sound familiar to you? A friend of yours is feeling tired and lethargic, so they go to the doctor and they ask for some complicated blood tests instead of just simply looking at how much they're sleeping or what their workload is like or maybe checking out their diet. Or maybe you have known or been someone who spends hours on hold with their internet or their cable or their cell phone provider trying to get a better deal instead of improving their monthly budget by not buying that fancy coffee twice a day. Yeah, I think that's often referred to as Occam's razor, right? And just says in any given situation, the simplest answer is also the most likely answer or explanation. I think Sherlock Holmes says something about that too. So this is a very I'm sure he'd thing. read his Occam. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman explains in his book called Thinking Fast and Slow, Opting for a complex strategy is actually a mental shortcut for our brain. Since we are unable to understand the basis of this strategy, we accept our ignorance and delegate responsibility to someone more competent than us. Conversely, a strategy that seems understandable to us would actually require more mental effort, since we would be able to evaluate it thoroughly and consider its pros and cons. But the analytical part of our brain is unfortunately very lazy and prefers to accept the hypothesis that a complicated strategy must probably be better. Wow, I had not heard that argument from Kahneman before. And that is pretty crazy, right? Yeah. That that the something complex that we can't understand seems more likely to us, if I'm understanding him correctly, but actually, that's because we don't have to actually get in there and understand it. We can just outsource that to an expert. Is that the basis of his argument? Yeah, I think so. It really comes down to our analytical brain is quite lazy. So we just want to be fed the solution, how, however complex it may be. You know, our friend and business consultant, Michelle Warner, actually recently suggested a different explanation for why we may be resistant to the simple solution. She was arguing that those simple solutions, they often fall into that category of simple but not easy. Mm. And we want something that's easy. So she says, we prefer complicated solutions that promise to be easy over easy solutions that might drive us out of our comfort zones. And that makes sense too. And I think the fact that there are multiple explanations for this really means that this is a much more complex kind of problem that we do need to consider from a bunch of angles. But Luckily, the answer is is the same, and we'll we'll get to that in a bit. Exactly. But just one more example from our life, anyway. A client of ours named Janice, who is someone that we've been working with for a while now, recently shared this with us. She said, I think that what Brock and Monica offer in the Way Less program and the Change Academy podcast is a kind of literacy about the messages we get that say what is good and what is bad. This applies to good foods and bad foods, good exercise and bad exercise, and much more. My confusion about what to do often led me to do nothing or trust nothing since I didn't want to do it wrong. Way less has helped me keep it simple. I just want to repeat that. My confusion about what to do often led me to do nothing, <laughs> right? And this is that classic place where people often exit that attention, intention, action cycle that mm. we frequently talk about here. They get stuck in that information gathering mode or analysis paralysis, 
and then they fail to actually take action. They're not moving through intention into the action Mm -hmm. that actually makes change happen. Or as you're constantly pointing out to us, you know, action is a great way to generate clarity. So when we're feeling fuzzy or we don't know what to do, doing something can usually shed some light on that. I'm going to make those t-shirts one day that says something is better than nothing. (laughs) Just do something. (laughs) Action generates clarity. That can Mm -hmm. be on the back. Yeah. You know, and it also reminds me, we were just a couple of weeks ago meeting with our very newest members, the ones who just started the program last month. And one of them was asking, okay, how am I supposed to deal with all of this overwhelming and conflicting information that's coming into my inbox and my feed about diet and nutrition? And our answer, which we kind of shouted out in unison, is <laughs> stop consuming it. <laughs> Unsubscribe. <laughs> just, just stop paying attention to overwhelming and conflicting information that is, you know, causing that confusion that leads to inactivity. Sometimes we really do need to take steps to reduce the amount of new information that's coming in so that we can simply focus on following through on the plan that we already have right in front of us. A somewhat tangentially related kind of idea or example of this is those annoying notifications that our devices seem to love. Yeah. We need to take action to turn them off so we can simply stay focused on what we're working on right now, the, the thing or the idea or the process that we've chosen to work on at this moment and not allow something else to pull us off in a different direction. Yeah, actually, when I get a new phone, that is the first thing I do is go through all the apps and turn off the notifications. And just a quick programming note, we're going to actually have more to say about that topic in our very next episode, when we're going to be talking about ADHD and its impact on behavior change strategies. I can hardly wait. Back to today's topic. You know, when we are continually jumping from thing to thing, from shiny object to shiny object, and we don't stick with any one thing long enough to get the results, we end up going nowhere. And so often we'll say, I've tried everything and nothing's working. But in reality, we've tried nothing. Right. We've sampled everything, but we haven't actually tried wholeheartedly any of the ideas or tactics that we've, well, pretended to try out anyway. Yeah. There are many studies that have been done on how soon or how late you'll see benefits or changes from things like learning a new skill or doing an exercise program or things like that. Now, for example, from my own background, when it comes to building muscle, you have to do the workouts consistently for at least four, usually more like six weeks before you can see any changes. And notice I said, see the changes because things are happening, but they're not noticeable until that four to six weeks. And if you do it for anything less than the four to six weeks, well, that's sampling. Like I said before, it's not an actual try because you're not giving it a chance to manifest itself. Right. Another um, frequent example of this phenomenon is language acquisition, Mm. where in the beginning, you know, you're trying to learn vocabulary, you're trying to get your head around the basic grammar, and you're basically illiterate. And it can go on like that for a while where you feel like you're making absolutely no progress. And then suddenly you reach kind of a critical threshold where you find yourself suddenly able to actually understand or form complete sentences. Mm. And it feels like it happened all at once. But of course, all of that sort of frustrating skill acquisition that you invested was what got you to that point. There's another, I think James Clear makes this point about 
when you're heating up an ice cube to to melt, it's like getting frustrated because the ice cube hasn't melted at 31 degrees, where Fahrenheit, of course. Yeah. Whereas one more degree, 32 degrees, and you're going to be looking at a pile of water. But if you just get frustrated and walk away at 31 degrees, you will conclude that your that your project didn't work. Yeah, I'm sure there's some neuroscientists out there that would love to explain what's going on physically in our brains during that time period that leads us to those moments of, wow, everything just clicked. I'm sure there's some really good explanations, but neither of us are neuroscientists, so we'll just leave that alone. Okay, I know, but we have neuroscientists listening to this podcast. So Mm -hmm. if that is your area of research, hit us up. Yeah. You will be on the other end of this microphone and two shakes of a lamb's tail. But right, our point here is that the only way to get results that last is to permanently change your behavior. That sounds so obvious when I say it, but when you really look at what people do and expect, clearly we have not internalized this. Mm. So I'll just say it again. The only way to get results that last is to permanently change your behavior. It's the only way, folks. And true behavior change takes sustained effort. Now, it doesn't have to be extreme. It doesn't have to be excruciating or complicated, just sustained. And it's also not a matter of having backed the right horse, of having picked the quote-unquote best or most effective approach. I mean, when you think about it, if you take 100 steps on any path that's headed even vaguely in the right direction, you're going to be much closer to your destination than if you just take the first 10 steps on 10 different paths. Mm -hmm. That's so, that sounds so wise and ancient. (laughs) Is there another t-shirt in there? Mm, It'll be, it'll be um, an abbreviation just for those in the know. We're going to have a side hustle going anytime now. Yeah. Right. Our merch store. Yeah. And you know, I, you know, there's a related phenomenon that people talk about in the area of time management where we fritter away the most productive hours of the day on like really low level tasks. And often it's a way of avoiding that bigger or more challenging task that needs our attention. Mm-hmm. Or uh, maybe because we're, we're confusing urgency with importance. We really need to ask ourselves, is this something that feels urgent but is actually not important? Or even, you know, should I be focusing on something that's more important, even though it doesn't feel quite as urgent? Mm. Because the thing is that that sense of urgency is so often driven by someone else's priorities, right? Not ours. Or even that false sense of urgency that we get when we get a notification on our phone for something that does not actually require immediate attention, but like Pavlov's dog's. You know, we are trained to snap to attention when we hear that little ping. Yeah. One of the greatest lessons I learned about email is that when somebody sends you an email, they are just happy that they've gotten it off their plate. They're not usually sitting there waiting for your reply. They just are like, (laughs) okay, fine. That's done. That's off my plate. In fact, if you reply right away, they may be sort of disappointed because now it's back in their inbox. (laughs) They were hoping to buy themselves a little, right, a little breathing space. You know, a really important thing that I learned a while ago is this important question to ask yourself when you're feeling overwhelmed with the task. And that question is, what would happen if I didn't do this? Hmm. Now, the trick is that you have to really picture all of the ramifications of what might happen if you subtracted this task from your life. And and I mean, like, imagine the the real ramifications, not the not the unlikely ones. 
And sometimes the answer is indeed catastrophic. You really need to get this done. And sometimes it's just not ideal, but it would, everyone would survive. But sometimes, and I would say more often than you might think, the answer is nothing. Hmm. Nothing bad will happen. The world will indeed keep turning. Now, in the end, this doesn't mean that you don't have to do it, that you're just eliminating things willy-nilly from your to-do list, but... What it does mean is that you can do the task with less urgency or less panic or less resentment, or you can safely and happily move it to another part of your to-do list to do a little bit later. Just gives you a little bit of freedom. Yeah, I love that question. And maybe like the follow-up. So you ask, what would happen if I didn't do this? And you realize like, okay, that actually would not be okay if I didn't do it. Hmm. But the next question could be, all right, but what would happen if I didn't do this right now? Mm-hmm. You know, what would happen if I did this tomorrow? Yeah, that's a great way to kind of check our, our sense, our, our perception of urgency against reality. Right. Okay. We've thrown a lot of information at the people, so let's get to those takeaways. Okay. I have four takeaways that I jotted down while we were talking. One, adding a lot of new bells and whistles to your routine can be a way of avoiding that simple but not easy work of simply changing old behaviors. And number two, eliminating something that's actually unproductive can make what remains more impactful. Mm. Less can really be more. My third takeaway is that extreme solutions can produce results faster, but simple solutions may produce results that last. Right. I like that one. And finally, When we eliminate that unproductive effort, we can move toward our goals with more ease. And what's wrong with that? What's wrong with a life that has more ease? It sounds so nice. Even the way you said ease just relaxed me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before I get too relaxed, let's talk about how to apply this information or otherwise known as the lab experiment. So if what you're working on isn't working, instead of looking around for the next big thing to add, Contemplate what you could eliminate from your efforts. And then you can look at which of the things you're currently focused on are actually distractions or low-value efforts. And then ask yourself what simple but not easy action could you focus on this week if you eliminate an unproductive or distracting effort. Those are all sort of different variations on the same idea of just looking at what you're working on See if you're overcomplicating it, and then look what you can remove instead of add. Yes, the unifying theme here, though, is to actually apply the information. We are not about consuming content, right, guys? We're about (laughs) creating change. And that's all we have for you this week. We look forward to seeing you next time. Go create some change. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been the Change Academy podcast with Brock Armstrong and Monica Reinagle.